Welcome to the Cross-Border Interview Podcast, a podcast about getting out from behind the keyboard and just talking. Each week, we invite a guest or two to sit down and talk about their life and their work. I'm Christopher Brown, your host, and this is the Cross-Border Interview Podcast featuring Zoe Adams and Tony Farrington. Um, Tony and Zoe, I want to thank you so much for doing this. Greatly appreciate it. We will dive right into the interview. My um, first question to both of you is, where did your sense of music come from? So we'll start with Tony and then we'll go to Zoe. Uh, My sense of music. um, I think it's genetic almost because my family has been musical for about at least 170 years, you know, when I... When my forebears first came to Toronto, they were instrument makers and instrument players. And, uh, you know, in every generation, there's been some uh, well-known musicians. And in my generation, you know, my my youngest brother is um, a famous, famous bass player. And uh, my late brother in the middle was a very well-known songwriter. So... Uh, I think it's in my blood and it's, uh, you know, I've been around long enough that I've been exposed to a lot of music and learned about a lot of music and it's all fed into the stream. And what about yourself, Zoe? Well, I come from a, a family of eight kids. We are all musical. Um, and we grew up, although, um, None of us ever studied music. Music has always been a big part of our lives. And we're we're kind of a a Von Trapp bunch, you know, at the drop of a hat. We're musical, we're also theatrical. So, so (laughs) double trouble. (laughs) So by the sounds of it uh you both have the family history of music in both your families were both your parents musical as well because you did talk about your brother uh tony and then your siblings as well as zoe but were your uh, mother and father both musically talented talented as well well my parents both appreciated music and and played you know vinyl around the house a lot my father was the only one that had any experience in music and he you know, learned a few uh, a few instruments when he was young. He was a, a trumpet player in a band called the Jive Five in the '40s, and until he gave himself a hernia, you know, he, he played uh, quite a bit of quite a bit of trumpet music. <laughs> yeah, the audience had a hernia from it too. <laughs> oh. No, in in my family, uh, same thing really. My parents, my 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 mom had a lovely voice, and um, uh, my mom was a war bride. When she was a, a young girl, she um, worked for a family who were very wealthy as a ladies' companion in England, okay. and uh, they sent her to choir school and. Uh, they had her singing. She always talked about singing the Hallelujah Chorus as a young girl and things like that. But uh, my mom had eight kids. She didn't have time to do anything except for yell at us musically. <laughs> so, <laughs> And my dad loved music, loved it. So we were we were brought up to enjoy and appreciate it for sure. 
Well, it sounds like it sounds like you both have very influential parents and very influential families that uh, sort of sparked that love of music. Or did that love of music just was that love of music always there as well? Yeah, it was always there. And I mean, it comes out uh, for me, it comes out in the in the songwriting side of things. Um, if, if not for Tony, I probably would not have started writing any very personal songs Although I wrote a lot of songs before, he has really encouraged me to to dig a little deeper. And um, I'm surprising myself with what um, with what we're able to do. And yourself, Tony, that love of music, has that always been there as well? Well, you know, it's interesting. Um, as since from the very first point that I have memories I can remember songs, you know, songs from when I was like, I think, two years old. Um, but music, although I loved it, it was not part of my life. And in fact, uh, when I was in, I don't know, I think grade seven or something, I underwent uh, the kind of tonality test that they used to give you at the time yeah. to establish whether you might be tone deaf or not. And I was. They decided I was tone deaf and could not distinguish high from low pitches or anything like that. Now, clearly I can now. Um, and my theory is that, you know, if I had shown an aptitude for pitch, they would have just made me sing some stupid song. And I was resisting that. <laughs> but w when... Uh, folk music came along in the early 60s. I loved that. So I started learning right away to uh, make some of that for myself. Oh, my God. It was the same thing with, with me. I, two of my brothers and I used to be uh, Peter, Paul, and Puny. So <laughs> I got to be Puny. <laughs> we always had fun with folk music, and everybody, you know, everybody was involved. Well, let's talk about how you met, because Vinyl Calf, the theater production of Vinyl Calf, was the uh, the first meeting of yourself, Zoe, and yourself, Tony. So, and with that, you decided we were going to potentially become Q&A. So take me through that initial first meeting of both of you and saying, hey, we have something well, that we potentially work on. We, we had actually met before Stuart McLean called me and kind of commissioned um, Vinyl Cafe, the musical. Um, I, I obviously knew of Zoe before that, which is why I hired her to take the second part. You know, I, if you're familiar with Stuart's radio stories, you know that there's a family, a couple called Dave and Morley and their kids, um, Sam and Stephanie. And I felt that I could reasonably well sing the role of Dave, but basically I wanted somebody to do everything else. And that's when I thought of Zoe. Because I'm everybody else. Uh, <laughs> Zoe's, Zoe's background actually is as a performer. Okay. Uh, I studied theater in, in uh, school and university, and I started working in theater very early and uh, worked in England and in the States and across Canada. And that that theater work involved some music from time to time. So I also um, started a, a, a corporate communications company 
called Live and in Print many years ago and would do for corporate situations anything to do with the spoken or written word. So I did a lot of custom uh, corporate entertainment that involved character uh, hosting and um, making anything an event from four people in a boardroom to a thousand people in a ballroom. And I had many crazy characters that would come alive for these events. And one of them, whose name is Caridad Consuela Alvarez Fernández Beatriz de la Cruz Andando, was too long, call me Chuchu. Chuchu Andando, which means a, a moving train, really, uh, Chuchu Andando. Uh, and I was, uh, I was as, uh, working as uh, Chuchu when I was uh, meeting Mr. Corrington. This guy, the, the Tony one. <laughs> and uh, he didn't know in the whole night because uh, I hired him or somebody called Zoe hired him to bring a band and play some music. And I was dressed like Carmen Miranda and uh, doing my thing. And he didn't know that I was the same person. I don't think so. Um, he was a bit confused because the whole night I was talking like this, <laughs> but I was still the person who hired him. Were you confused, so, Tony? <laughs> this is this is quite true. I remember thinking, "What a lovely woman! Too bad she's crazy." <laughs> <laughs> I always say, "Paresco boba, pero no lo soy." That means I look very, very stupid. But you have to be very intelligent to look this stupid. <laughs> So, so that first, that was the first meeting of you're playing yes. somebody else, and you guys get a good feeling for each other afterwards because Tony, you call her and say I have a part for you to potentially read for to uh, be on Stuart McLean's uh, radio show. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> That's it's always good to have a few aliases up your sleeve. You never know. <laughs> so. Um, that initial, because you went away after Stuart McLean's radio show, Vinyl Cafe, and you, the yeah. musical, and you guys decide to become Q&A. Not yet. Uh, not yet. So how do, so when, what's the transition from that play to Q&A? Um, there's an intermediate step. We had such fun doing the, the concert for Vinyl Cafe, you know, which we did a, a couple of nights live at the Orangeville Opera House in Orangeville, Ontario, uh, with a live audience and recording it for the air. And we got a, a lot of good response, you know, uh, from across the country and indeed in the states where the show was carried on national public radio. That, that was just such a positive experience that um, we decided we should do something else together. And at the time, this is, say, 15 years ago, um, there was a lot of work to be had in retirement homes, you know, um, sort of hour-long concerts for older people or people in long-term care or whatever. And we started doing that together, singing basically the American songbook, you know, the great standards by Gershwin and Cole Porter and whoever. We, we had a duo called Paper Moon, 
And Paper Moon did uh, everything from from corporate right down to, um, you know, hospitals and, as Tony said, seniors' residences and things like that. I loved that audience. They they really know their music. They're very discerning. They know what they like. And it's like I had many years in theater uh, where I would tour for children. Okay. And you always knew exactly where you stood with kids. They would let you know exactly how they feel. And I found that the, that the seniors' audiences were the same. And wherever we went, we were always their favorite. <laughs> and that made me feel very proud. Oh, that's, um, that's awesome. So Yeah, it was a lovely experience. Was it easy to transition from play to music for you both? Because you're both taking two uh, backgrounds and putting them together into one form. Was it that was it easy to actually uh, become Paper Moon at the time? Well, I always tell Tony, well, you know, like I, I always described myself to Tony. I, I'm the I'm the organ grinders monkey. I, I'm the entertainment value, you know, people will focus on me and they'll think, oh, you're so wonderful. And I'm thinking, Tony's behind me, making me look good, you know, <laughs> but, um, yeah, we, we, um, we eventually, uh, got to Q and a on a dare, um, because we had both written for, uh, we'd both written a lot and Tony far more so in terms of music than, than, than I had. I've written for children, I've written for corporate, I've written for video, I've, you know, and so on and so on. Uh, and also music or, or songs, I should say. And then Tony just kind of dared me to write something that we could work on together. And it was surprisingly easy to do and never having thought about doing it beforehand it just kind of opened a floodgate and the two of us started writing like mad and we suddenly had out of nowhere our first 30 songs and then uh the the goal there was tony said why don't we just write enough for a show and so we booked a show and then started writing for it <laughs> Okay, and, that, that seems backwards, but okay. <laughs> this was our own dare, and it was in a bookstore, this little show, um, which is an odd place to have a, a, a music show, but it was it was lovely. Uh, it was well-received, and it was such a surprise to me that we could actually make that deadline and, and, and come across with literally, I think it wasn't a 30 tunes that we did live for the first time. No... No script, no lines, just get out there and do it. Tony didn't even have a sheet of paper in front of him. I didn't have a lyric in front of me. And away we went. And we've been going ever since. Then then for our Christmas album, which I am particularly proud of, I just said to Tony one day in his kitchen, we should write a Christmas album. And he said, good idea. So we did. We just sat down and wrote. 15 Christmas tunes, uh, original Christmas tunes, uh, from every perspective. From, and uh, it, it turned into our album, our Christmas album, called Christmas Dream. And I always say, no matter what your feelings about Christmas are, there's something in that album that will resonate for you 
particularly. You'll like everything, but there'll be one song that you'll, you know, that will be your song. Which, when I was researching uh, both of you and listening to your music, I fell in love with that Christmas album. There's a few songs that really spoke to me that I really fell in love with. Which okay, which Chris- ones? Christmas Candy. Uh-huh. Put a Bow on You. Oh, yeah. And uh, I think it's called Something A Wish. Make, Make a, a wish. wish. Make a wish. The last song on the album. Yes. Those are the three yeah. that I went. These are amazing songs. This is an album that I will be listening to all Christmas long. I guarantee it. Great. That's so good to hear. What about McSwizzlewart? The Christmas cat. Yes. The green eyed Christmas cat. That was an interesting <laughs> one. I found that one quite hilarious. Because I was like, this seems like a good tune. <laughs> see, one day I'd love to see that as an animated special. You know? It would be a perfect one, especially since they are all original music, too. Um, we'll, we'll, we're going to talk about how the music comes, right? Most people will write the lyrics mm-hmm. and write the music right afterwards. What's your process as Q&A to write a song, an original song at that? Um, so do the lyrics come the first and then happens. the actual music? That could happen, but... On the other hand, we have a lot of songs that I write a complete melody and turn it, you know, I record it so that Zoe can work with it. And she eventually fits a lyric to the tune, which is a very old fashioned way of doing things. And I think the hardest, very much like to come up with a perfect lyric that fits the contours of a melody that has the vowels in the right places so that you can sing them, that has, you know, all the images and things that are going to twig in people's mind. I think that's a very hard thing to do, and I think Zoe does it very well. Yay! On the other hand, one of us could just get an idea, and we kind of start from scratch. We brainstorm what could go into that song, and I, I, I like to say... I have a guitar in my hands and I'm hallucinating because that's just, it's just kind of free associating, playing lines and phrases and chords until something twigs for either of us and we say, yeah, yeah, that's it. Well, follow that. I really love the fact, too, that I can write a complete lyric and hand it to Tony and I have something in my mind for it and I don't say what it is. And he reads my mind and he writes it. Wow. We, we we really do, you know, like we always joke that we share our brain, but um, it's really true. It's really true. I don't know whether it's just, I don't know. I just feel like um, I, 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 the, the, Tony is the best partner I can think of to ever work with. He just, we're just so in sync about just about everything, you know, it's amazing. That's amazing. Um, um, so... Zoe, you did talk about how sometimes you uh, the the lyrics that you write are personal stories. When we first started the conversation today, they were a personal song. Yes. Take me through that process. Is it hard to write down personal feelings, personal things that are going through that you've gone through that you potentially have seen people go through and put them into a uh, lyrical form? Yeah, it's getting easier. Um, but I found it very hard because I, you know, it's not hard to write it. It's 
it's hard to, for me to imagine that other people would really resonate with them. You know, that's the part that that is a surprise to me. Um, it's easy for me to 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 go into a character and write a song from the the viewpoint of a character. You mentioned Christmas candy. That's that's one in particular that you know you just put yourself into that character. You be you know like from the point of view of an actress, it's it's a good thing to be able to write a song. But when the actress is playing you, it's a little more difficult for me. And to let your guard down and say things that uh, are that personal, um, it's still it's still difficult. But it's uh, like I say, it's getting easier, and uh, I'm much braver about it now. So. Plus, I, but I, I still love the wheelhouse of the 40s, 50s. We always write music that sounds like you already heard it a million years ago because it's familiar right out of the box. It's familiar to you, you know, which that's and what I want to talk about I, next is because when I was listening to these songs, the new album, the uh, the three new albums this year that you guys have put out, which seems uh, three, three new EPs that you've put out this year one more jazz thing, one more folk mm -hmm. thing, and one more pop thing. You, I was listening to these, and like you said, Zoe, it's you feel like you've heard these songs forever, but they're brand new. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. And and we always say, uh, uh, you know, like, if it sounds like it's from the 20s, uh, what, what what is it? No, it sounds like it's from the 40s. So we're not uh, uh, all those years behind. We're 20 years ahead of time. <laughs> <laughs> well it's almost it is the 20s so therefore no. we're talking 2020 right um so yeah works the, for me there you go um the one song i want to talk about now is your newest song that you've released it's how do i love you take me through the process of how this yep. song came about because when i listened to it i listened to it on repeat for a good hour and a half because it spoke to me and there's such a good story in it so i want you to tell me how this song came about well uh it was an idea that i had um and i had a few lines you know and i had this concept of this bluegrassy folky kind of song i don't know that that to me suggested uh the carter family maybe or somebody like that and um it had a i had a particular kind of folk imagery in mind that i wanted for the lines so zoe and i just sat down and we had a race we had yeah. a lyric race <laughs> writing down all kinds of images just as this speeding them out you know we've got pages and pages of it and then sorted them through and came up with it it was fun and fast actually yeah and i pretty much had that tune in mind from the beginning or something like it you know that wouldn't have very many chords but would have a very you know folky bluegrassy feel to it so uh and then I would say something like, well, what about the branch? We need a branch here. <laughs> <laughs> so he comes up with a good one. So yeah. this 
this these three EPs that you've released have been released during yeah. one of the biggest global pandemics, if not the largest pandemics in the world. When do you guys get time to sit down and yeah. do this? Like, are you guys doing this over the phone? Are you guys doing this in person like you are right now? Or how is this happening? Well, we, we've been, uh, perf- before we recorded these songs, um, you know, we were doing a lot of performing. <laughs> um, of course, the pandemic came along at a very bad time, just when we're launching uh, the CDs. But um, we are continuing to promote them and to write like crazy since the pandemic started in March. We've got another what 30 songs something like that and we've uh we've actually started some home recording uh from my place here it's my dining room since you know who who has people over it's become a studio um and uh we're recording 15 new songs right now that are going to be an album called old school (laughs) and it's really it's really it's lovely. It's I, a it's a homemade kind of album. Yeah. I mean, we do. It's mostly me playing multiple instruments and the two of us singing. Although we have had a few um, guest musicians come and and add to the tracks. You know, Bill McBurney, who is a globally famous flute player, he came in and uh, played some stuff for us. Yeah, and I've got percussion on there too. It's pretty exciting. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. No. But we're we're um, we are getting some very good feedback uh, on the three EPs. Um, lovely Eric Alper has been very helpful getting it out there, and Sonic Peach Music, our label. Um, so, and you know, if I can just digress for a second, we were talking about this just before this interview about the fact that. We love the fact that the music's getting out there. But for us, the main focus is actually just making the music. Where it goes from there is kind of out of our control. Um, It's just, you just, if you put your heart in it, you just send it out there. It's like when you give somebody a gift of money. You you let go of it with both hands. You can't say, what are you going to spend it on? You know? (laughs) So it's the same with the music, you know? You you give it to people, and where they take it is down to them. Um, We've done our our bit by putting our heart in it. Well, it sounds like you have put your heart into all these uh, uh, EPs. I had the pleasure of listening to them, and I, li- I, I, I asked all my listeners to go out and actually listen to the music. Uh, they can be found on Spotify. Uh, listen to it. They are amazing artists. Um, there's one song that really I want to talk about, and I want to know where this came from, because it was actually very touching, and the, the word spoke to me of it uh, was uh, Redbird. It's on the One More Folk Thing album. Yes. Where did this, um, where did this song come from? Because well, that's, now that's my, my song because it predates Q&A, and it's, but it's just something that we learned and we love to perform. Yep. Um, you know, when I, when I began my musical career, it was basically in folk music. Banjo was my first instrument before the guitar, and I was listening to people like Pete Seeger and Doc Watson. And in particular, Doc Watson did a 
an ancient folk song in a southern mountain style called the cuckoo. And I kind of took the instrumental riff from the cuckoo and made it into Redbird. Um, and I, I suppose I had the song for three years or something before Zoe and I started writing, but we, we both liked it. Yeah, I, I always liked that song and I always wanted to get into it. So <laughs> I forced my way into Redbird. Tony used to do it uh, on his own. I think it makes a really nice duet. It does. Yep. Your voice is now that, now that Now that I've heard it as a duet, I can't think of it any other way, you know. Wow. That's amazing that you because some artists are so uh uh selective of what they want changed in their music and you're willing to just open up and allow Zoe to enter oh, yeah. that song. So that shows that you respect Zoe, but also you're willing to adapt to your new surroundings of being a duo, right? And, mm. and he fears me. Yes. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so my last area. So I should go ahead. Last area of questions before we do uh, wrap up here. Um, 2021. Uh, this is, will be airing in the first part of 2021, just about middle of January. What do we have in store for Q&A? Hypothetically, if the pandemic slows down and we're back to quote unquote normality here in 2021 without, uh, because you've talked about your album old school, but what's, what else is next? Do you want to start touring with each other to go on the road to cross the country or what's next for you both? Um, yeah, what, whatever presents itself in the new year, in whatever the new normal is, you know, we'd be very happy to be part of, um, as Zoe said, you know, the central thing for us seems to be the creating, is the making making up the songs out of nothing and just letting them accumulate till we actually have a body of work, which we seem to have. Um, after that, it, you know, you have to do something practical about it. But I don't think anyone can say at this point what that's going to be like in 2021. You know, so many places have closed so many venues just won't be operable because you know if there are still any restrictions on the numbers you know how can you have a festival if there's if you can only have 50 people in a large room you know we just don't we don't know yeah we'll have to sort of rock and roll with it whatever whatever happens we'll figure it out um in the meantime uh, like I keep saying, this is time you don't get back. So you don't sit around and whine about it. You get crazy busy and be creative and dig in and, you know, let it be. I mean, if it's happening, we have to make the most of it. And I think we are. And we'll see what happens. By the time things come around again, we're going to have so much new stuff. And even, even now, I mean, um, uh, what what we're kind of known for locally here is it doesn't matter if our shows are two days apart, people will say we'll expect a new tune <laughs> because we're that we're that stupid, fast and eclectic that they they never know what they're going to hear. I might sing about my vacuum cleaner. Okay. Or we actually have a song called my little yellow Walmart bathing suit. 
and uh, you know, like we've got a lot of stuff. I, I I've written a couple of songs in in Jamaican patois, which I have a, a, a family uh, background that that allows me to do that, and they're beautiful songs. And we've written a few things in Spanish. Uh, Choo Choo rears her ugly head a few times, you know. Caridad Consuela Álvarez Fernández Beatriz de la Cruz andando is singing. So, um, yeah, we're, we just keep going and it's so much fun. So my last question, my, my last question yeah. for both of you here is yeah. what have you learned about yourself being part of a duo of Q and a, well, I've learned I have to make space for him to talk, but, <laughs> <laughs> but it doesn't come easy. I'll tell you. <laughs> On either side. I'll tell you what, what I, you know, I've, I've spent a lot of my time as a performer uh, figuring everything out, every possible angle, you know, uh, and as an improv person, you know, staying open to everything that's happening around you. But uh, as a duo with somebody that you trust, it really takes the edge off of worry you know, like Tony is solid and it's such a it's such a pleasure and a treasure to work with somebody who can read your mind and pick up the slack and or lead and you can follow. You know, it's it's great being in a duo. And what, it is. what about yourself, Tony? What have you learned about yourself being in the duo of Q&A? Um. I, I've learned, I think, a lot better to be in the moment, to just, you know, uh, let myself be spontaneous and react to uh, Zoe's pull in whatever direction it is, you know. Um, and I think that it's certainly more entertaining for our audiences, you know, the duo, um, by myself. I think I write some interesting songs, but it's probably not that entertaining. But we are very entertaining. And you both certainly are. Um, Zoe and Tony, I want to thank you so much for doing this. Uh, for my listeners, Our pleasure. The uh, show note in my in the show notes of the episode will be Q and A's links to their Spotify YouTube channels. So please visit them. Please listen to their music. They are a fantastic artists. Greatly appreciate it. Once again, Zoe and Tony, much appreciated. Thank, Thank you, you, Christopher. Thank you. Thank you once again for listening to the Cross Border Interview Podcast. If you love this episode of the Cross Border Interview Podcast, head over to iTunes or wherever you get your podcast and subscribe, rate us, and leave us a review. All the links to our social media accounts are in the show notes or visit www.crossborderinterviews.ca. The Cross Border Interview Podcast was produced and edited by Miranda Brown and Associates Incorporated. Be sure to tune in for our next episode of the Cross Border Interview Podcast. Once again, thank you. Bye-bye.